Today on Your Money, Your Wealth podcast number 335, which states are the best for retirement in terms of taxes? When you're moving to another state with a lower cost of living, is it wise to take on mortgage debt to invest in the market? And does it make a difference if you do a Roth conversion before or after moving to another state? Plus, is it better to do a Roth conversion with ETFs or mutual funds? Is 0% long-term capital gains a hoax? Also, ABLE accounts for individuals with disabilities and figuring out health care costs and taxes. I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Um, here's one here. My husband and I are regular viewers, so this is the TV show. TV or, or YouTube. Just watching our picture, listening to the podcast. <laughs> Could be Watching too. the front of the building. Uh, <laughs> leaving the state after retirement is mentioned as a way to maximize potential uh, income. Has your program ever considered discussing the benefits negatives of different states? I believe the sources of retirement income and expenses are fluid. For example, some state property taxes are higher than California in tax and Social Security income uh, varies between states. Thank you for your show. So this is not really a question, and I'm not sure why this is in the old email bag. Well, because they, well, it's like, I guess it's like they want to know what states are the best to retire. They want us to build a whole show. <laughs> well, so I'll give you because a it makes sense. Because like I remember, we had a we have clients in multiple states, right? But Michigan, they don't tax their retirement benefits, or you know what I mean, right? To, to answer this question, to go through all 50 states, we would need to have. Um, well, I did a little pre, pre-plan. Oh, you did some prep work I, there? I did. Because the, the, what I normally tell people when they ask the question, the, the answer is usually Wyoming, because Wyoming has no state tax and it's got very low other taxes. But I thought, well, let me, let me get another source besides that. So Wyoming. Yeah. And, and it's on this list. So these are, these are the top five states. Okay. Fifth to first, according <laughs> to gobankingrates.com. So they said the fifth best one is Florida. Because no state tax. Uh, no state tax and sales tax is about 7% of property taxes is under 1% and they don't tax social security. Okay. Okay. That's pretty good. Good place to move to avoid taxes and they'll probably go to jail because you're <laughs> yeah. going to move back to the original state. <laughs> Be careful about that. <laughs> Number four is Nevada. Also no state income tax. The sales tax is about eight and a quarter. They don't tax social security and the property tax rate is 0.67. So about two thirds of a percent. I would say Hawaii is going to be in the list. No, Hawaii is expensive. Not for pension income. It's tax free. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, you're right, but this is just general. Third is Delaware. Because- yeah, but I think we have to look at, because there's so many nuances, like pension income, IRA income, you know, d- distributions from retirement accounts. Some of these states, don't they have different tax rates on those types of distributions? They do. Yeah, it's actually way more complicated than what I'm saying, but, I got I, it. Okay. but I've given you a little. I thought you did some really good research. A little, well, I'm not going to go over a chart <laughs> with 50 rows and that's 25 what, columns. That's what I'm saying. I know you'd want me to, but that's what I'm saying. Anyway, I just it. wanted to get back to his list. There, so he's doing no. his top five. Oh, I know. Missed it. Delaware. Uh, state income tax is five and a half percent, but sales tax is zero and property tax is only about half a percent. They don't tax Social Security. Number two is Wyoming. I thought it'd be number one. So here's why. Uh, sales tax is five 
0.3%. Uh, income tax rate is zero. Property tax is 0.55. And number one is Alaska. Because mm. uh, there's no income tax. The sales tax is 1.7%. And the property tax is, is only about 1%. So there you go. I don't know if that's really, that's kind of half half the answer. Well, then you'll have to do a whole TV show about it. That's a a great answer. You want to know the sixth and seventh? No, thank you. Nothing. (laughs) I got those two. Now, I think what what would be interesting to me is the states that have favorable pension income taxes. Yeah, so we know for sure that Hawaii does not tax pensions. They do tax IRA, but they don't tax pensions. Right. And so if you got a big pension, right? That might be a pretty good state to go to. Yeah. You move to Hawaii and get, <clears throat> we've seen a lot of big pensions, $100,000 pensions. Yeah. Um, yeah. But- that was some from Cindy and Mark, by the way. You had asked me to leave it with them actually saying who they were, and I did, and you skipped their names. Thank you for the show, Cindy and Mark. Love, Cindy and Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, team. I have listened to your podcast while walking during and after the pandemic. Uh, really good info, and I'm learning a lot. Some info on us. My wife and I are both 65 and retired. Good health and active. $150,000 a year in pension and Social Security. $3.5 million in traditional IRAs and about $800,000 in brokerage accounts. We own our house. No mortgage. Value $900,000. We've been with a wealth advisor for 25 plus years. Well, if you got a wealth advisor, Bill, what are you calling us for? <laughs> second opinion. Got it. Not opinion. The second. What, what do we call it? Spitballing? Yeah. Second spitball. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We just sold our home in Con- Connecticut. Connecticut. <laughs> yep. Connecticut. Connecticut. Right. KT. CT. CT. God, I am just dyslexic today. Um, all right. So we just sold our home in Connecticut at $865,000 in our building a new home in Delaware. Um, price of the new home will be the same as our prior home, but we will have a much lower cost of living uh, given significantly lower real estate taxes, no sales tax, no social security tax and reduced taxes on pensions, etc. We have been approved for a $600,000 mortgage at two and a half percent. I wonder if I should give $500,000 to the financial advisor to invest with a return of five or 6%. It also provides a tax write-off on the mortgage interest. In fact, I'm not getting any pressure from the advisor to do this, given my plan has always been to have no mortgage into retirement. What do you think, given this very low cost of money? Uh, Bill, all right. Okay. You have $150,000 of fixed income. So that's the first thing I think Alan and I take a look at for people with debt in retirement. Or wanting to add debt in retirement that didn't have any debt. Sure. Is that you have the cash flow to cover the debt service. Yeah. And the answer appears to be yes. Um, yes. The only thing that he didn't let us know is what, what he's, he's spending. spending. Correct. There's just three things. That's all he asks. <laughs> what you got, what you're spending, and what your fixed income is. Yes. That's what we need. That's three things. Helps guys. to have your age, too. And if you're married, that, that, that helps as well. Yeah. Just, you know, they, they write paragraphs in paragraphs. I know. In like pages. Well, Bill was pretty concise. We're just missing the spending. Yeah. Because, all right, if he spends 150, he, he receives $150,000 a year, but he spends four hundred grand. well, then we'd say no. But if he spends, you know, 
a hundred thousand dollars a year and he has a hundred fifty thousand dollars of fixed income so got extra right. right and then so you take a you know what a five hundred thousand dollar mortgage two and a half percent over 30 years 2.5 over 30 years what's that that's twenty three thousand so that's two thousand a couple thousand a month right Yep. Um, so if he's spending a hundred, his fixed income's one fifty. So you add another twenty four thousand dollars on his fixed income. Right. I mean, uh, on his living expenses. Sure. Uh, he still has enough without even drawing a, a penny down from the overall portfolio. Right. So I would look at it like that, not an arbitrage. Don't think of it as that my mortgage is two percent, and then can I invest in the market and get five or six? Because I think that's where the greed factor comes in and that's where it blows people up. Yeah. And the answer is maybe. Maybe. <laughs> right. Yes. There's no guarantee. <laughs> that's what a lot of financial planners will tell you. And they well, have I think a- that's what, I mean, when you think of it, it's like, well, if I'm paying the cost of debt of 2% and I can get 6%, well, that's good arbitrage. Yeah. Right. But be careful with that line of thinking because you could blow yourself up. And he's saying his advisor is a good guy. He's not telling him to no pressure. Yeah. yeah. And, and so he's just kind of, he didn't want to talk to his advisor yeah. about it either. Right. Cause he wasn't sure. He was. And he's like, well, if I mention it, he's going to be like, yeah, yeah, let's get that 500 grand. <laughs> so let me get a, like a third party opinion to see what these guys think. And then maybe I might bring it up. Yeah. I don't think you need to take on the additional risk. You already got three and a half million dollars that you're not necessarily spending. Yeah. It's plus, it, plus all that fixed income. Right. Plus you got all the money in the brokerage. You got, you know, the only thing that I would do that $500,000 would create liquidity for me to convert some of this $3.4 million out because the time he reaches 73 or 72 with $150,000 of fixed income plus another 120, $130,000, maybe 150 of RMD on top of the 120, I mean, he could blow his tax wide open. That extra liquidity could help pay for some of the taxes by doing conversions. That's the only reason that I would do it. Otherwise, I'd be debt free. That's a really good idea because seven years of doing that. And then by the time he's 72, his RMDs will be so high, he can basically get that mortgage paid out pretty right, quickly. Right. Because the RMD is going to kick out the money anyway. Right. And then when it kicks out the money, you're either going to put it into a brokerage account or your savings account. Why don't you just take the excess income from the RMD and just pay off your mortgage then? Yeah. I like that too. That's a better way to look at it than arbitrage, which is which is never guaranteed. And and by the way, it's also a personal, uh, it, it depends upon what you're feeling about mortgages and debt debt and retirement. If you don't want a mortgage, then don't have one. Greg writes in from beautiful wine country, Temecula, California, big Al, little Joe. Uh, my wife and I have 900 K in our 401 Ks and 200,000 in our Roths. I love it. How they call me little Joe. I just <laughs> think it's so funny. It is pretty funny. I'm 50 and plan on retiring at 60 and we'll be moving out of California to a state with no income tax. Oh, great. Al's got a list for you. <laughs> Let's see what Alaska is where you need to go. Wyoming. Or Wyoming. Yeah. Uh, we will continue to max out our 401k and backdoor the Roth until I retire. Is it better for us to start to convert the 401ks to Roth now or wait until we move out of California? We're the 24% federal tax bracket, uh, 9% state bracket. I'll be using the money from my brokerage account for the conversion. Thanks. Uh, all right. So what do you think? He's moving to a no state income tax state. Does he wait 10 years to do the conversions or does he convert now? Yeah, because if he converts now, he's got to pay an extra 9%, 9.3 to be exact to California. So let's call it, do you pay 35% today, Yeah, state and federal, 
Or do you think when he leaves the state, what tax bracket is he going to be in? Right. Is it going to be less than 35%? Yep. I would imagine probably. Pro- probably so. But then what the only, so, so that's the simple math, right? Because <laughs> yeah. roughly 35% today, where are you going to be in the future? But he, he has to consider the time value of money of the conversion. Yeah. And but, really, what's that worth? Yeah. And he's he says he's got 900000 He's going to work for 10 more years. Even without contributing, that's going to be worth $1.8. With contributing, I mean, if it doubles. Uh, contributing, probably, you know, I don't know, $2.5 million. Is his wife and him both maxing out? We will continue to max out the 401ks. So maybe, okay, so put in 50 Add fifty to per year nine hundred thousand for ten years. He's probably going to end up with three million. I'm guessing. Um, seven percent. What the hell? Fifty thousand dollars savings per year. Yeah, two point five. Two point five. Okay. So two point five. The RMD on that would be roughly four percent. So we'll call that hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. So that's that's your income then. Um, we don't know what your income is now, other than you're in the twenty four percent bracket, and as a married couple, that would imply that your income is over 172,000, actually over 200,000 when you take into account the standard deduction. Um, so, so yeah, $100,000, let's just say, and then plus social security, part of a taxable, you know, whatever. Let, let's just say the income is after standard deduction, I don't know, 120. We'll probably be in what will be the 25% bracket, I'm guessing. With no state taxes? With no state taxes. Today, you're 24 plus Let's call it ten. So thirty-four. So so maybe, so, so from a, from a just a straight numbers, you would wait, right? But uh, there could be strategy that might make sense there to could some be. degree. Particularly if you're if you're charitably inclined, maybe you time some charitable donations to a donor advice fund along with Roth conversion, so it doesn't cost you anything because they're offsetting. Um, yeah, I think we would have to run some more numbers, but yep. uh, first blush, that's that's where we got. Yep. Deciding where to retire, when to retire, whether to get a mortgage, whether to do a Roth conversion, these are all major retirement decisions that definitely require running some numbers. But just as importantly, do you know what you're going to do with your time once you're retired? In 2016, a Fidelity Investment Survey found that 60% of men said having time to spend with their spouse was a strong factor in their decision to retire, while only only 43% of women said the same thing. Now make sure that you are on the same page with your spouse. Download the Retirement Lifestyles Guide from the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to get some insight, suggestions, and ideas to make the most of your lifestyle, growth, health, and relationships in retirement. This is what Joe likes to call the softer side of retirement. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to download the Retirement Lifestyles Guide for free. And if you've got money questions or life style questions, click Ask Joe and Big Al on air in the podcast show notes and send them in as a voice message, which get top priority, or as an email. All right. We got Nancy from Santee writes in, when doing a Roth conversion from an IRA account, is it more beneficial to convert ETS versus mutual funds, or does it not make a difference one way or the other? Uh, Nancy, doesn't make a difference one way or another. So if you have ETFs and mutual funds inside an IRA account, you can convert those ETF shares or mutual funds into the Roth IRA um, and then just pay tax on whatever the dollar figure is the following year. Um, So you can directly kind of convert those shares. So we use, we like ETFs. We like mutual funds. Um, So you probably want to have the ETF or mutual fund that is maybe a little bit more aggressive or volatile in the Roth. 
uh, just to take advantage of the tax-free rate over the long term that you'll probably get a little bit more growth out of those types of funds. Um, but I don't think it makes a difference to you, Al. No, it doesn't make a difference at all. And and you are right. I think people don't necessarily realize this because they put similar investments in all of their accounts. But if you think about it, you'd want your highest uh, expected return in the Roth because you get rewarded for that. You pay no tax on that. So what's the, what's the highest return asset? Well, stocks over bonds. Stocks will generally earn, not every year, but in general, they'll earn more than bonds. And certain kinds of stocks over the long term tend to earn more than others, like smaller companies and value. Riskier companies. Riskier, which is why you were saying they're more volatile. And they are. They're more volatile, but they tend to go up more over the long term. So that's what you want to kind of load into the raw. Yeah, you're compensated for the risk that you're taking. Right. So it's a kind of a double whammy. If you have the time frame. Um, and you're doing conversions and you have some time for those those investments to do their thing, then yeah, you would want more stock-like investments in the Roth. Laura from Los Angeles. Um, I'm 40, yo, single, no <laughs> kids, own a condo worth 450, have no debt aside from the $210,000 mortgage and make $150,000 a year. I'm worried about retirement. Only have a 401k. My question is, should I get a Roth? Even though, I get highly taxed right now or just stick with the traditional. Okay. She's 40. Makes $150,000 a year. Yep. Single. Okay. Um, four so one. She, she's probably in a 24% bracket. Yep. Um, I don't know if she even qualifies. For a Roth. Oh, what's the, what's 133? Yeah, it's like 125 to 135 or somewhere in that range. She makes 150. Yeah, let's see, 125 to 140. So once you make over 125,000, you start being phased out on doing a Roth IRA. But maybe she's asking, because she's got a 401k. Well, it says in that parentheses IRA. I know, but I think she, I think that means a traditional 401k. Maybe there's a Roth option in the 401k. So let's answer that question first, because if, if she's just trying to do a regular Roth IRA, she would probably not qualify because her income's too high, or at least couldn't do a full one. Mm -hmm. But if she has a Roth option in her 401k, she can do that. Is that a good idea? Sure. But it depends on how much money that she has. She's concerned for retirement. Yeah. She's got 150. She's 40 years old. So I don't know what is, is, is she has no savings and go traditional for sure, because because why not? Why you, not? And that with that income, uh, you can save you some money in tax, and yeah. you can. And as long as you're not going to have too high of a required minimum distribution, right. age seventy two. But if she's already saved a bunch of money in a four hundred one k and has very little tax diversification, then we might say th then go, you, go might, the Roth. you might you yeah. might say Roth because she's only in the twenty four percent bracket, and she's forty, and she's got a lot of time for that tax free money to grow. Yeah, that's true too. Right. And as you have observed before, and I agree with you, you tend to when you when you go ahead and do the traditional. 401k or traditional IRA and get the tax deduction, you don't tend to save the money. You tend to spend it. Right. So it's kind of a four savings and plus you're going to be happy later. Yeah. The tax benefits. Yep. Uh, dear Joe, Alan, Andy, I drive a 2017 Nissan Versa. I don't have any pets, but my upstairs landlord has an outdoor cat that I play with sometimes. <laughs> well, we, you do want to know what their pets are. I think that's in reference to you walking your dog while listening to our program. No, this thing's gotten out of control. <laughs> my, my neighbor, 
I thought he was going to say something else. Um, I've been listening to and watching your show for about three years and enjoy your energetic dynamic um, and do not have a Roth conversion question. Thank you. Three years and enjoy your energetic dynamic, comma. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Yeah, missing a uh, noun so, or something. Yes, but, um, <laughs> I think he meant energetic dynamic banter. I'll, I'll, I'll throw in that word. Great, thanks. <laughs> um, I'm questioning if I got the 0% long-term capital gains rate, or is it a hoax? <laughs> or I didn't qualify. I've been filing my own taxes since high school. Uh, because I think it's been simple enough to do on my own. And hopefully I've been doing them correctly for decades. Three years ago was the first time when I used an online site that had me fill in the fields, but not the 1044 more schedules. And I used the same tax website this year. Last year was the first time I sold some stocks in a taxable account and received the corresponding 1099 forms. Upon looking at the 1099s, I freaked out because I didn't know what all the pages meant. And I didn't want to go to prison for tax evasion. So I went to a tax preparer for the first time. The tax preparer filled my federal and state tax returns and answered my questions about the forms and collected her service fee. She told me she'd left breadcrumbs for me and to go home and do the taxes on my own to compare her results with my results. We got the same results, but I'm questioning why we had to enter long-term capital gain amounts from the Schedule D to Line 7 on the Form 1040. I'm doing that. Wouldn't I be taxed even if I qualified for a 0% if I was under $40,000 of taxable income? Oh boy. Uh, we can skip that rest part. The, the answer is, is not necessarily. Uh, because here's how that works. And he, he does say that his taxable income is 39,000 somewhere at the bottom. Okay. So, and he's single. So that's, that's in the um, 12% tax bracket, which goes to about $40,000, which means if you have capital gains and that taxable income, they're taxed at zero. But if you have $39,000 and you have another capital gain of a thousand, then you're still okay. But if you have a capital gain of 10,000, then only the first 1,000 of that capital gain is taxed at zero. The other 9,000 that put you over into the next bracket is taxed at 15% because that's, that's the way this works. So that's one thing to remember. The second thing to remember is when you get a 1099 statement, it usually just, it often shows just the proceeds, you have to put in your cost basis. Now they are getting better now. A lot of them are putting in the cost basis, but not always. So you have to put in your sales proceeds and your cost basis. You let, uh, and, and then you see what the gain is. You put the gain is in your other income. If with the gain, you're under 40,000, you're fine. But if it's over 40,000, some of that will be taxed at, at that 15% rate. So you have to go through all of that to figure that out. I, I would say um, I would recommend getting TurboTax because once you've got 1099s, it's too complicated to do it manually like this. He's filling out with pencil. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're, you're going to regret it at some point when there's mistakes and IRS comes after you. Just, just get TurboTax or something similar. Was I in the under $40,000 income tax bracket and was I taxed for my long-term capital gains? I think I should be able to do taxes correctly on my own to save myself money that can go towards my retirement accounts and pay down my house. Thank you. 
Kaihoku. Kaihoku. He says I'm not, and, not and Hawaiian. I'm, and I'm not Hawaiian. Although he's from uh he's from Kailua Kona. Kona. Kailua Kona. Well, that's not stated anywhere in this email. At the st- yeah, true. Well, it's at the front. Well, no, he didn't write that. I think that's our stalkers <laughs> writing that. That's probably right. Or that's in the form? Yeah. That's in the form. That's in, in the form. <laughs> the form that Andy uses to anyway, figure so, out exactly so, what uh, The right form now. that people fill out with their information in it. So, so it. Kai, Kaihoku, you're, um, you're, you, it was not a hoax. You paid 0% on your capital gains because your taxable income was below roughly $40,000. But you have to go through that exercise to figure it out. Hey, you want to know a secret? Joe and Big L do not know all of these ranges and limits and rules off the top of their heads, and you don't have to either. Get yourself a copy of the 2021 Key Financial Data Guide from the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and use the exact same guide the fellas use. See at a glance the 2021 tax brackets and capital gains tax rates, retirement plan contribution limits, taxation on Social Security, Medicare premiums, and more credits, deductions, exemptions, distributions, and exclusions than you can shake a stick at. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your favorite podcast app to download the 2021 Key Financial Data Guide for free and have it ready anytime you want to impress your friends with your encyclopedically nerdy financial knowledge. Hello, in a nutshell, I have two 401ks I rolled into annuities. One at 552k four years ago, in the other 73K about a year ago, $100,000 in B of A checking, $750,000 in cash. Uh, I have no debt worth mentioning in a healthy hate for it. All right. Credit cards paid monthly. Stuck in rental till market changes with average cost of living at three or $4,000 a month. No children that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> he even uh, has good. that icon. I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very, very good. Yep. I was doing a little emoji. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 53 years old since May in good health. Job vanished a year ago due to COVID. And usually in the hundred dollars to $125,000 income range. I have state insurance, but nothing toward a long term care insurance. Jobs are being tight on income offering and anticipate lesser earnings when I go back to work. Not that I really want to for a couple of years. I could really use some direction at this point. And most that I speak with tend to be rather vague in direction. What do you think? I look forward to hearing from you. Tell them what to do. What the? <laughs> are you kidding me? It's like, you're, you're... Yeah, I'm really looking forward to you. And most people are vague. Well, if this is how you're asking for financial advice, you should. What's the question? <laughs> there's, no, there's no question. Other than what should I do? You know, got no kids. Well, he's 53 chilling. He's got, I don't know, 750, 100,000, 850. And he's 53. He's got what? $900,000. Yeah. Right. He spends $4,000 a month, $50,000 a year. So 50,000 into 900,000 is roughly what? Five and five, a half. Five and a half, call it. So he's taking 5.5 out of his money, out of his nest egg. Yeah. 750 of it's in cash that's not growing. So if you're taking 5.5% out of your nest egg at age 53 and your nest egg is not growing 
at all because it's all, in cash. You're going to deplete your overall nest egg um, in 2015 years. So I'm going to tell you what to do. Actually, get on the job search right away. Um, he's like, well, everyone's just giving me vague information. They, no, no one's helping. <laughs> so I, I would say, I don't know what you do. I guess this is Sean at Carlsbad. Sean, I don't really know what you do, but um, if you have to take a little bit less to rebuild back up, go, don't, go for right, it. Here, here's my advice. Don't buy any more annuities, <laughs> right? Get, invest the cash. Invest the cash in a globally diversified portfolio that's low in cost. Make sure that you know you have the right allocation given your appetite for risk. But I would say at age 53, it's probably at least 60% in the stock market. Great. I would then say if you're spending $48,000 and you're used to spending $100,000, who cares? Find a job that you enjoy making 50 grand so you don't touch your nest egg. So let the nest egg then grow over the next 10 years. So now that 900,000 is worth 1.8 million. Yeah, and you're used, and at that you, point you're 62 years old. And you're used to spending 50, so you can trans you can gravitate to retirement. Yeah, and then you quit your job and then you start living off your investments, claim your social security whenever. You're in good health, maybe you push that out to age 70. Now your $50,000 spending today in 10 years is probably going to be about $70,000, but you have 1.8 million dollars. 70,000 into 1.8 is yeah, I call it less than 3. Yeah, well, 3.8. Oh, okay. Okay. But at 62, then you got to bridge the gap to social security at age 67 to age 70. I think right if you're making 100 to 125,000, your social security is probably at least what 25, 30 grand. Yeah. Right? So now your shortfall is 30 grand that you have to pull from. Yeah, and you're in great shape. Yep. So I, I think we both said a similar thing, which is you need to get a job. Get a job. Don't take $4,000 a month at 53 from your overall portfolio. Make 50 grand, 40 grand. Then, right, then you're covering your, your nut without dipping into the nest egg. Invest the nest egg. Don't buy product. You bought two annuities already. They're probably fixed index annuities given the, given the brand, right? So you're going to these you're asking for advice from the wrong people. You're only giving them snippets of what you're thinking. And then you're getting sold product. That is the whole issue. The problem, right? Yeah. What do you want to do? I mean, it's simple. You've, you've done a good job. You've so, I don't know, but does, is he renting because he sold a house? That's where the seven fifty dollars cash came. So is he going to buy another house in Carlsbad? Well, well, then that's going to blow up to 750. Yeah, right. So and the other thing I would say is don't necessarily expect the market, the real estate market to crash like it did in 2007, 2008, 2009. I can tell you in my lifetime, and Sean, I'm a little older than you. I, this has only happened once in my lifetime where property has actually gone down in value in Southern California to any great degree. Was he trying to time the market? Did he say that? Well, he's, he's renting until... The market uh, changes with average cost of living at three yeah, to four the market changes. Stuck in rental till market changes. Which indicates he's waiting for a crash. And I wouldn't count on that in Southern California, particularly Carl's Bend. Um, stuck in rental. Is that his own rental? No, he's. I think he's renting. Because he sold his house. 
Right. Yep. So then that 750, if he's going to buy another house, I he's going to wait for it to crash. So, and so, then it's going to crash in 15 years. But the crash, it's going to be a 20% crash of a value that's, that's 100% that's higher three than Three times today. higher than yeah. today. Yeah. But it will go down at some point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Plus, if you if you buy a house with that or a big part of it, then you're not going to have enough nest egg. Then you, then you got to make more than the 50,000. Yeah. Then you're, you're going back to work full time. Um, making 125,000, spending your 40, paying 20 to tax and saving everything else. And if you can only find a job for 75, take it. And then over time, work up, work back up to the hundred, 125. So is that good enough? Yeah. All right. Hi, Andy, Joe and Grande Al. Two questions. Number one, my wife is the guardian of an adult, her adult sister with mental issues. The sister receives a check from the state every month. Neither the sister nor us need the money right now. Is there a way for my wife to set up a custodial account for her sister, invest the disability money for her sister use in the future? What do you think? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Why not? Yeah. Well, I think that, um, I think there's a few choices. Uh, Can you do a custodial account for someone over 21? I don't know how old the sister is. Well, she's she's the guardian. She says adult sister. Um, I guess I'm not sure the answer to that. I know you can do a, You could set up a special needs trust. That would be something What's, you um, could do. I, it's on the tip of my tongue. The ABLE? Yeah. The, you could set up an ABLE account. That would be the simplest, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah. You would just set up an ABLE account, which is a custodial account. Yeah. Because it, it's, it, it's, it's for the benefit of, of someone that uh, has you, special needs has or special has needs. a disability. or Yeah. 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 And, and uh, I think, as I understand it, the ABLE account, the adult sister with special needs has access to that, but wouldn't necessarily have access to a special needs trust because you'd have a trustee. So whether that's a consideration. The, the ABLE account is like, the, the, has the same benefits as a special needs trust. And the reason why people set up a special needs trust is it's just a fact here that John wants to do. John wants to put money cash aside for an individual that will need care, but there's limits on how much social security that someone can receive depending on assets and income that that individual has, right? If the, if the individual has too much income or assets, then they're going to reduce the overall social security benefits, the disability benefits. Right. Yeah. So they put it in a special needs trust to allow them to continue to get their social security benefits. And I'm sure there's a lot more to this. I've never really, um, I'm not an attorney and I, <laughs> I don't draft these. I'm just giving you a very high level. Yes. Um, the ABLE account is the same thing, but a lot cheaper. You can yeah, put the money into the is. ABLE account. It avoids the, um, the testing for social security um, benefits. So, right. But the, but then there's upper limits on those. If you're getting social security disability, I think it's a hundred thousand if I'm not mistaken. All right. <clears throat> I drive a 2016 blue Nissan Altima and she drives a 2012 silver Toyota Camry. We have two dogs, a yellow lab and a black and white mutt. I've got a little pictures of cookie and may. Yeah. Very uh, under the table. Yeah. Very cute. Um, number two, a YouTube video about the ETF QILD showed up in my feed that I knew nothing about. Short story is this ETF acts like a covered call and I get part of the proceeds. The the narrator said you can have big gains and horrible losses and the taxes on the gains can be high as 60%. Al, what a tax bomb would happen to me. If I put this in my Roth, I know you cannot give personal advice, but maybe a scenario. 
Well, I think I think what he's talking about is if you just own it outside of your um, retirement account, then 60% is taxed at, at short-term capital gains and 40% is taxed at long-term capital gains. I think that's how it works. Whether you can put that investment in a Roth or not, I mean, I think generally you can, but it it's, you know, the covered call is an option and some options are, are tied in with margin loans and you can't have a margin loan inside a retirement account. So I don't know enough about this fund, but that, that would be my only caution on that one. Very well answered, Big Al. Yeah, thought out. Uh, Kevin from Forney. Forney, Texas. Forney, Texas. Been to Forney? No, never been to Forney. Ever heard of Forney? Nope. Nope. Howdy, guys. Well, that sounds Texan, doesn't it? Howdy, right back, Kevin from <laughs> Forney. Um, I know you are tired of Roth IRA questions. <laughs> so my three questions are about HSAs. Oh, this is going to be interesting. Yeah, that's even more interesting just, than This Ross. is going to be just riveting. <laughs> All right. Health savings accounts, by uh, the way. Oh, boy. Okay, we have accumulated over $30,000 in medical debt during this year. Ooh, sorry to hear about that. Um, the only silver lining is, number one, we are in a strong financial situation. And number two, we will be able to itemize our deductions this year because of the medical debt, mortgage interest, property taxes, and up to well over are, are added up to well over the, the standard deduction. Here are my HSA questions. Okay. Um, probably should have read this question before we went on air. <laughs> uh, I'm not really up on my HSA, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll see what I we can, can do. I think I can help you out. All right. Let's say my AGI is $100,000. I know the rule is that I can deduct my medical debt over seven and a half percent over my EGI, which brings my deduction to 22,500, 30,000 minus 7,500. That's the correct statement. However, I'm still negotiating with the hospital. Let's say they agree to reduce my debt to $20,000. Which number do I use to calculate my medical debt tax deduction? The original amount or the reduced amount? Kevin, that's real easy. It's what you pay. <laughs> what you pay. What you, you pay. Not, not what you okay. should have paid. How if I tell them to put some on a piece of paper that's a lot more than what I spent. I, Mr. IRS, I got an invoice here. I must have paid it. Well, what did you actually pay, Kevin? Well, a lot less than that. <laughs> yeah, Kevin, it's what you pay. So it's the lower amount. All right. In the scenario above, it is my understanding that I wouldn't be able to pay with my HSA funds because I can only deduct unreimbursed medical care expenses. Paying with the tax deductible HSA would be a double dippy. That is true. But if I decide to reimburse myself 10 or 15 years from now using my HSA, how does the IRS know that I'm already itemized those uh, medical bills 10 years ago? Uh, Kevin, they don't. You're on the honor system here. Oh my God, Kevin. Please do it right. He's like, I'm going to call your money or wealth to <laughs> see find if out how to cheat. cheat. <laughs> I love tax fraud. <laughs> <laughs> I want to test these boys. That's right. Let's uh, see what they come up with. <laughs> so yeah, don't so, do it. Uh, and if you, if you want to do it, uh, it's uh, it would come up under audit, or maybe maybe you'll hit at an older age. You'll feel guilty. You'll call them up. I've just haven't been able to sleep for ten years. So Mr. there's there's Mr. There's, Mr. Iris. there's tax avoidance 
and then there's tax evasion. Yes. Uh, um, and uh, the second one we don't particularly <laughs> like to encourage because <laughs> that will get you what three square meals, of, yes. although and a bed uh, sleep yes. in, but you may not like it. Oh uh, yeah, they got a really nice gym. It's called the yard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can only go out certain hours <laughs> you strict, might strict, you might uh, have to get a job of picking up trash along the uh, freeway yeah it's a strict protocol at that gym yeah uh, <laughs> finally my current hoa hsa is an individual plan on september 1st i am switching to a family hsa plan because i'm adding my uh, family to my health insurance my school district offers a health um, highly deductible health plan. So I'm HSA eligible, whether I include my family or not, since I will have the um, highly deductible health plan on December 1st, 2021. Under the full contribution rule, I will be able to contribute the full 7,200, which is my preferred option instead of the prorated contribution. I'm aware that I am subject to testing period and I must keep HSA eligibility for the entire following year. However, the language is vague. <laughs> Let's say... Uh, I just got to do whatever I want <laughs> and uh, we'll see what happens. Why are you even asking these questions? Uh, let's say uh, that next year, my healthcare plan uh, becomes too expensive for my whole family. And then I decide to switch back to the individual plan. Does the 10% penalty apply? I will still be HSA eligible because my plan is still a highly deductible health plan, but I, it didn't keep my family in the insurance plan for the whole entire year. The IRS doesn't specify whether I must keep the same, same plan, plan or another one I had when I used the full contribution rule or whether I can switch from a family uh, to an individual plan and stay HSA eligible. Yeah, Ke Kevin, if that if you switch, then you'd still have the 10% penalty on the difference between the individual plan and the family plan. So there you go. Uh, thanks so much for all you do uh, to help your audience. Well, if you've been listening for a while, uh, I don't know if this is going to help you or not. <laughs> this will keep you on the. It's like confession here. <laughs> Here's I might do this. Yes, at least I, mean, I love this guy because yeah, right. he's like, this is what I'm doing. What do you think? Yeah. Versus, you know, uh, my cousin's friend's neighbor. <laughs> I need to know how to advise them. Yes, you know, and I thought it you was know, kind of fishy. They, they said I'm doing this. I said, ooh, I'm not sure that's <laughs> well, a good idea. Well, I know who to call. It's called Big Al and Joe. <laughs> Big thanks to Juan, who sent us a kick-butt new show intro. Unfortunately, copyright laws won't let us play it in the podcast because it uses the song Serious from the Alan Parsons Project, which you may know as the intro music for the Chicago Bulls. You can read the transcript of Juan's intro, where he calls Big Al the titan of taxes with feathered hair and lots to share, right at the end of the podcast show notes. And stick around for the derails to hear Joe and Big Al's reaction to the YMYW Dream Team. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click the Get an Assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257 to schedule your free financial assessment. It does not matter where you are in the country, they can do video calls. And chances are one of the certified financial planners at Pure will be able to identify strategies that will help you create a more successful retirement. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investor Investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. 
That is from listener Juan, who sent that to us earlier this week and said, Joe and company, big fan of the show, teetering on fanboy status. And although I don't have a first world financial problem disguised as a question, I thought you might enjoy an alternate intro to your award-winning podcast. Keep up the great work. You've created a monster money type podcast and no doubt are suffering from the trappings of further success, if not large additional windfall money. Cheers, Juan. Wow. Well, did, Andy, do you think you're, he's kind of gunning for your job? I mean, I, apparently a, I'm out of a job and, and Juan is the new one to take over the position. Feathered hair. Feathered, I got feathered. Lots to share. Yeah, I, yeah, I like it. <laughs> I wonder what feathered hair is. You don't know what feathered hair is? You do have feathered hair. Do I? Yeah, you feathered your hair. Okay. You know, you with your comb, you have a comb. Yes, I do. That's like an old school comb. Yeah. I, and I, then you, you, you actually you use feathered the, the hell out of it. I use a hairbrush now, so I feather with my hairbrush. Yeah, I don't even have a comb anymore. Well, I'm, your hair looks very feathered. Today. <laughs> so thank you for that, that's, Juan. That's we why really I'm going to go get a cut it. after the show. It's too much feathering right now. <laughs> it looks great. Yeah, yeah. You can pull it off the feather. Can I? Okay. Yes, you can. Yeah. You never. You don't. You don't get this long, do you? That's me. My hair? Yeah. No. No. I, yeah, I had feather hair back in the day. You did? Oh, yeah. I feathered that at the, back in the, you had, when yeah. I was in grade school. You had the comb in your pocket? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You you were, the, you were the kid that had the brush in the pocket. I did. <laughs> I used to have the brush in the pocket. <laughs> Forget the comb. Let's get the brush. Yeah, that, <laughs> what you got there in your pocket, there, yeah, son? Yeah, the brush I don't know. in your back pocket. <laughs> Ever heard of Forney? Nope. Nope. I kind of like it. I was just at Dallas for about the fourth time only at the airport yeah Dallas yeah. Fort Worth yep very nice yep airport's fine I've never actually left the airport yeah in Dallas yeah I've but I've been Dallas. there four times I like Dallas Forney is yep. apparently east of Dallas just a little bit okay on the outskirts all right Forney love it she's saying wrap it up all right no I'm saying you can keep going oh, oh. <laughs> this is break oh. this is keep going got it okay. all right we got I gotta get my signals right KT. CT. CT. God, I am just dyslexic today. I'm seeing, I was going to say Kentucky. Yeah, I, you I heard did. that coming out. Yes. Yeah, me too. Right? I, I was know. just in Kentucky. Oh, my God. You Al. said you were just in <laughs> Dallas. Oh, just in Dallas. Well, that's where I was. Same, I'm super cool. Same trip. <laughs> I, have a, I mean, we went to Nashville and we flew back by way of Dallas. That's why I was at the airport. Oh. So, like, if you flew over a state, do you say you were there too? Yeah, I saw. <laughs> That's actually my only uh, only time in Texas is at the airport in Dallas-Fort Worth. No. 